Hello and welcome to the Watership Down podcast episode 16. First of all some borough keeping. Um, I've added the notes for the last two episodes after dropping the episodes and they do not seem to have come through in the feed to my podcast provider so apologies if this has also happened to you. Um, I'll, I'll obviously be trying to upload them at the time that I publish the podcast. On this subject I'm going to ask for some feedback on the notes. Are they useful or have you have you not looked at them? There's a 4,000 character limit for them, which means that my full script usually ends up being cut by a half for the notes. Uh, is this still useful to you? If they are not of much use, I may save myself the time by restricting them to a bare-bones outline of each episode. Let, please let me know what you think. This can be a comment on the Facebook page, unsurprisingly called The Watership Down Podcast, or an email to The Watership Down Podcast, all one word, all lowercase, at outlook.com, or on Twitter, at the Watership do one and do remember, you can get your voice on this podcast really easily by leaving a voice message at https colon forward slash forward slash anchor.fm forward slash watership down, all one word, forward slash message. Any and all contributions are welcome. You might be wondering why a high place would be called a down. The word originates from the Old English word dune. I think that's how you pronounce it. It's spelled D and then a U with a a horizontal dash over the top, N. Again, speaking English, I don't really use letters with accents on, so I'm not sure about the pronunciation. But I think it's dune, meaning hill. I don't know how this relates to the word dune, as in a sand dune, if at all. Downland features tend to be named after places on downland ridges that are just a bit higher than the ridge to either side of them or that stand out in some other way. In the case of Watership Down, the summit is 237 metres or 778 feet above sea level and is one of the highest points in the county of Hampshire on the Hampshire Downs in the south of England. As the main setting of our story is about to switch to this very British geological setting, I think it best to just explain its nature a little. I've mentioned before that I can see the line of the South Downs from where I live, seven miles to the south. What I can see is the very steep north-facing ridge of our downs here in Sussex. And this steep ridge, known as a scarp slope, is characteristic of chalk downland. However, on the other side of of that ridge is a gentle slope known as a dip slope. This difference in the slopes is explained by the Cretaceous age of the formation of chalk in Britain, where its layers have been tilted over time, resulting in it being worn away faster in one direction than in the other. The Sussex South Downs used to be connected to the Kent North Downs until the chalk that lay between them was eroded away. In the case of the Sussex Downs, the gentle dip slope to the south meets the sea along much of its length, resulting in chalk cliffs such as those you see at Beachy Head and the Seven Sisters. But when the downs are further inland, as in those Watership Down lies on, the dip slope could eventually be low enough to allow chalk streams to develop, the majority of which, in the world, are in Britain. These are beautifully clear streams and a real haven for wildlife. The River Test, which the rabbits use to escape from Ephrafa, is a particularly impressive example of such a chalk stream. Slightly higher up on downland, Changes in the level of the water table can result in winter-borne streams. 
and even higher, dry valleys formed during ice ages when meltwater ran off over the surface while underground water, underground water remained frozen. However, Watership Down, which lies at one of the highest points on the Downs, right next to a scarp slope, is a very different environment. On the high Downs, there are no streams at all, no cave systems, no waterfalls and no natural ponds. This is because chalk is very porous and water is just absorbed through it, so there is no way for water to run off on the surface when there isn't an ice age in progress, and no way for it to erode the soft chalk to create caves. In fact, farmers used to create artificial ponds on Downland known as dew ponds, which were lined with non-porous clay and later concrete, in order to give Downland livestock a source of water collected from dew and rainfall. These days, water pipes to metal troughs ensure such a water supply where it is needed. An old dew pond lay on the Downs above my childhood home on the South Downs. As a child, I remember this being just an old concrete-lined overgrown circular dip in the ground at the top of the hill above where I lived. In recent years, this has been renovated and is now a beautiful wild pond, but once again, it is in a place where a pond has no business being. It is on such high downs that Fiverr for foresaw the ideal site for a warren, where the porous chalk would ensure dry soil and no risk of flooding. If you ever see a scene in any portrayal of Watership Down set near the warren in which there is a stream, waterfall, cave system or pond, that scene is displaying an ignorance of the basic geology of the very place the book is named after. As I have previously said, the 1999 TV series contains multiple errors of this kind. However, the 2018 Netflix series features a pond near the Warren that could be a dew pond. However, I can find no record of one having ever been there. Its only purpose seems to be to provide an atmospheric place for Hazel to die at the end of the story, but the 1978 film seemed to manage without perfectly well. A revisionist might well protest that one is entitled to relocate the geological context of the story for effect, but it is literally named after its specific geological context, Watership Down. As someone who grew up on British Downland, I'm going to declare myself very much an originalist when it comes to geology. If you want excitement and drama in a portrayal of Watership Down, look to the rabbits, not the rocks. Introduction to Part 2 So far, we have been looking at a story of travelling through hostile terrain. We now move to the phase of the book that deals with setting up camp, another military theme. The appeal of this story to the military mindset was one that I'd never really thought about before starting this podcast, which is odd really, as it's so obvious. Preparing for last week's episode gave me much food for thought on this subject. Rabbits live their whole lives effectively under fire, so of course talking rabbits would sound like the military at times. However... What our heroes are about to do is going to have to become a lot more than just setting up a place where they can survive. If their new home is to have any prospect of succeeding, it will need to become something far more civilian in character. A sustainable community. Establishing and preserving this community is going to be the overriding theme of the rest of the book. And ironically, this will involve actions that are far more military in character than anything they have done so far.
Chapter 18. Watership Down. The opening quote from William Blake is an effective reminder that the dream of a new home is about to become reality. The chapter opens on the evening of the following day after the group left. The northern scarp slope of Watership Down is described by Adams in his wonderful customary style, moving from general observation to minute details of nature. There is reference to the intensity of nature in the land below being lessened from the remoteness of the top of the down. Hazel and his companions are sheltering beneath some trees at the foot of the turf cliff of the scarp slope. Their adventures during the previous day are described, during which they have travelled three miles. They have encountered two brooks, more deep woodland, a lake and open ground. They have been attacked by rats when sheltering in a barn. But they are all still alive. Since the Warren of the Snares, any any doubts about their abilities have disappeared. This has been demonstrated by their working together during the rat attack. In short, this is now a more effective and trusting group of rabbits than before. Strawberry, having left the Warren of the Snares, has had a difficult time, both physically and emotionally, but even he has proved useful in the woods, an environment he is more used to. It is made clear that Bigwig's experience with the snare has made him less overbearing and more cooperative. As the sun gets lower in the sky, the rabbits emerge to feed. Hazel asks Fiverr to clarify what he wants, that he wants them to climb the st- steep scarp slope and find shelter at the top. Fiverr explains why it is a good idea in terms of light, diggable soil, but Hazel points out that they are out in the open and getting everyone up the slope that night with still no shelter at the top is a bad idea. Acorn points out that the first thing they need is holes for safety. Hazel suggests he go to the top to scout it out. He chooses Dandelion and Hawkbit to come with him as they seem less tired. Adams explains how much easier it is for a rabbit to climb a steep slope than a person. In fact, they can find running downhill more awkward because of their powerful hind legs. He addresses the reader as to how their experience of climbing the down will be very different to that of a rabbit if they ever visit Warship Down. We have our eyes at the top of a tower with which to pick our way carefully. Therefore, the tiredness of the rabbits was more in terms of mental strain rather than temporary inability to climb the slope. Those who are most under strain might go tharm, a lapine word that is introduced at this point, meaning paralysed by fear. For the climbers, the downland slope is both too open and also does not allow them to see very far ahead through the long grass. They are also looking up to the sky more than they are used to. Hazel asks Frith if they are going to live among the clouds. He also asks for Faith to trust Fiverr that Frith is guiding him. He sees Dandelion up ahead, standing out clearly against the sky. Alarmed, he rushes towards him. At this point, Dandelion says one of the phrases that seems most loved by fans of the 1978 film in which it features prominently. Quote, Come and look, you can see the whole world. End quote. In that one phrase, he sums up the rabbit view of the world compared to humans. It is a beautiful and poignant moment. The ground they are on has become more level. They are at the top of the down, and it is immediately obvious that they will have a clear view of the approach of any danger here. Fiverr was right. Hazel comments that though Frith might have made this place for them, Fiverr thought of it. He calls him Fiverr Ra, and cannot wait for him to see the place. They realise Hawkbit is missing, and wonder if he has turned back or come to harm. Dandelion says what a shame it would be to lose one of them just as they reached Fiverr's hills. Hazel says they need to get back to the bottom in any case. 
They come across a little group of stunted trees surrounded uh, surrounding a dry bank that is commonly found on the downs, and there they find Hawkbit, who has found some old rabbit holes there. Hawkbit's discovery has probably saved lives, and Hazel says to go and fetch the others straight away. And so they all arrive, safe, on Watership Down. In the next episode, the rabbits start to plan for their new home. And something terrifying approaches. Thank mm-hmm. you.